podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast on Tuesday, the 26th of January. It's a wet and windy day, but we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A VPN is a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, keep your information safe, and change your location should you want to access things like American Netflix. Or if you're from the UK and traveling abroad and you want to access your Now TV, in the post-Brexit world, you will now be able to access your Now TV by setting your Liberty Shield VPN to the UK. The internet will think you're in the UK, and you will have full access to your Now TV. Check out their services at libertyshield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk for any giftware or homeware that you might re- require. Right, folks, uh, today is the day that it looks like Thomas Tuchel will be unveiled as Chelsea manager. Uh, he's due to fly in this morning, I believe, and he's meant to take training this afternoon with the hope being that he will be in the dugout for tomorrow night's game. Uh, Tuchel, of course, comes with you know a little bit of a controversial reputation. He's had some missteps in his career. But there can be no doubt he's an upgrade on Frank Lampard. He did tremendous work at Mines, took them into the Europa League a couple of times, which for a club that operate on a budget, which is about Mesut Ossel's annual salary, uh, it, it tells you the type of job he did there. He's at Dortmund, obviously, for two years, had two very, very exciting years there. The first season with that Obama Yang, Royce, Mkhitaryan group, they were sensational going forward. He then lost a couple of those players. Mkhitaryan left. Mats Hummels left. Uh, they brought in Usman Dembele, who was just sensational for them in his year there. Mark Bartra. That year, of course, was spoiled by the bomb attack on their bus. And that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for the relationship between him and the board. He had some missteps, obviously, uh, where he, att- he was te- texting his agent to complain about Michael Zork and uh, sent the message to Michael Zork instead. Things like that don't help. But his reputation is that he is tactically a genius. His coaching sessions are meant to be very, very hard work, but very, very innovative. Uh, things such as masking off the corners of the pitch to force players to play within a triangle, force players to be more attack-minded, uh, making defenders carry tennis balls in training so that they can't grapple with strikers, things like that. Um, There are some parallels to be drawn with the appointment of Vias Boas a couple of years ago, a manager known for his tactical genius, but with a spiky personality who doesn't always get on with other people. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann is one of Tuchel's, I suppose, 
underlings that he's had in the past. He was they were together at at Augsburg when uh, Tuchel was the reserve team manager there, and Nagelsmann himself has said you have one of two relationships with Tuchel. You either get on with him really, really well, or the relationship is terrible. It's just the type of person that he is. Um, he hasn't had any major issues with at Paris Saint-Germain. He obviously had some at uh, at Dortmund and at Mainz. Apparently, the relationship had kind of come to an end. Because he's so demanding and he wants the best for himself and his team, and of course, Mainz just weren't in the financial position to back him to the level that he wanted, He's an interesting character. He's someone that you can tell is completely obsessed with the game. I think for Chelsea players, it's going to be quite a rude awakening after what they've just had with Lampard, who, from a tactical point of view, you could tell was you know, very, very basic. Um, go out and run around, lads, seemed to be the message more often than not. It's funny with, with Villas-Boas... He was obviously appointed as Chelsea manager at the age of 34. Lampard played a heavy part in getting him sacked and then made comments like he, you know, the players didn't get him sacked. He just wasn't ready for the job. He was too young. And it comes full circle now, Lampard. He just wasn't ready for the Chelsea job. He probably never will be. Um, That is, as I said yesterday, it's one of the elite jobs in world football. There's only a handful of managers who are ever good enough to manage clubs like that. Uh, and Frank, unfortunately, at this point, certainly not one of them, maybe down the line, but it will take him quite a while. He's got quite a lot of work to do in developing himself as a manager. You'd wonder where he'll go next. There's obviously been an outcry from the, the UK media in support of Frank Lampard. Uh, criticism of Chelsea, criticism of the owner, criticism of the decision to sack a manager. It's never a good idea to sack a manager mid-season. So I want to have a look at all of those things. So since Abramovich took over, I went through the managers he's had yesterday. There's quite a few of them. But consider this. When Abramovich took over at Chelsea, they'd won one league title. In his 17 years there, they've won five. They'd won three FA Cups. They've won five in his time there. They'd won two league cups. They've won three in his time. Their only European success was two Cup Winners' Cups, one in 71, one in 98. They've won a Champions League and two Europa Leagues in his time. He's been there 17 years. It's coming up on 18 uh, this summer. But Chelsea have been in existence for 115 years, going on 116 years in March of this year. This is 99 years of history, 98 years of history, Versus the time under Abramovich. And the time under Abramovich has been far, far more successful because of the way he owns and operates the club. Yes, the money helps. Of course it does. But the insistence to hold managers to a very high level, sometimes an unrealistic level, of course, but it works for them. It's always worked for Abramovich. It's... The mindset that's long been prevalent in Italian football and Spanish football, English managers always tended to get more time. They always tended to stay in jobs a lot longer. Abramovich wasn't about that. He wasn't going to allow the club to stagnate. He wasn't going to accept anything other than elite level. 
And that's what he's done again here. Frank wasn't getting the job done. They're ninth in the Premier League. Thomas Tuchel has a history of excellence. He's an elite manager. He may not be an elite human being, but he's an elite manager. And mostly his players have loved him. Now, there's been some squad players here and there that have said, oh, he's a bit of a dictator and whatever. But, you know, we've heard the same about Guardiola. We've heard the same about Klopp from people. Some of the Dortmund lads after Klopp left said, oh, he's a great manager, but he's incredibly demanding. Same thing been said about Tuchel. Now, I'd imagine Klopp is a much warmer person than Tuchel, but, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's any better of a manager. We'll see. We'll see how Tuchel does. He's 47 years of age, which means he's still very young, um, but he does come into the job with, with 12 years of managerial experience. So he's been there, he's done it. He's got a lot more of a track record than Lampard, who had one year walking into the Chelsea job. There's been claims that Roman hasn't backed Frank. And I have to push back on that because Roman has backed every manager. You just need to look at the money he's invested in that club. So the first summer he takes over, 2003, with Claudio Ranieri, who everybody knew wasn't long for that job. As soon as Roman took over with all that money, it was clear Ranieri's not going to be there long term. He still backed him to the extent of Glenn Johnson for six million, Jeremy for seven, Wayne Bridge for seven, Damien Duff for seventeen, Joe Cole for six point six, Juan Veron for fifteen, Adrian Mutu for fifteen point eight, Alexi Smerton for three point four, Hernan Crespo for sixteen point eight, Claude McAlealy for sixteen, and then Scott Parker in the January for ten million. That type of spending was unheard of in English football, in, in, in most football at the time. Only Real really did things like that. The following summer, he fires uh, Claudio, brings in Jose Mourinho, Paolo Ferreira, Peter Cech, Arjen Robin, Matija Kesman, Didier Drogba, Thiago, Ricardo Carvalho. Just an insane expenditure, 91 million. Spent again. Mourinho wins a title. He, everybody's adoring him. Again, they go big. Uh, Del Horno, Lasana Diara, Sean Wright Phillips, Michael Essien. Another 60 million. Without even thinking about it, they're spending that kind of money each year. The following summer, Michael Balak on a, a big Bosman, uh, Solomon Kalou, Andrei Shevchenko, John Obi Mikel, Khalid Boularouz. And Ashley Cole. That's another 56, 57 million. Plus William Gallas, who went to Arsenal in the Cole deal. You know, you move on. Maluda, Belletti, Anelka, Branislav Ivanovic. More big, big expenditure. Um, every single year that you look at Roman as Chelsea owner, they have gone pretty big. Now, there's been a couple of summers where the spending hasn't been as big. And obviously in the summer of 2019, when Frank took over, they had the transfer embargo, but they still, still spent 40 million on Kovacic. They'd had him on loan. So they were allowed to sign him. They had spent 65 million on Pulisic in the January because they knew the ban was coming and the new hazard was going to leave. 
Then this past summer, Zajic, Werner, Chilwell, Havertz, Mendy. I mean, how much, how much backing does a manager need? That's 220 million. Plus Pulisic at 65. Plus Kovacic. Well over 300 million under Frank's watch. Or, or that Frank has been, you know, the beneficiary of. How can you claim he didn't back him? And 18 months is a long time in the Premier League. There can be no doubt that Roman Abramovich backed Frank. That Chelsea backed him. He was given pretty much everything he wanted. Yes, he wanted Declan Rice. Other people at the club decided Declan Rice wasn't worth the expense. And they're probably right. Is Declan Rice really worth 70 or 80 million? I mean, that's... You're talking world-class players at that kind of price. Virgil van Dijk was 75 million. I mean, Fabinho, who I think is the best holding midfielder in the league, was 40 million. I know Declan Rice is an English passport, but is that passport really worth that kind of money? I can't think that it is. They should have given him more time. Why? Why should they give him more time? Why should he be allowed more time when other managers weren't? In an era that's worked for them, where they've gotten rid of managers when they decided it wasn't working. It's always worked for Chelsea. Five league titles, five FA Cups, a Champions League, three League Cups and two Europa Leagues in Roman's time in charge. What they do works for them. And then there's the idea that changing managers mid-season is a risk. And sure, it can be. It absolutely can be. But let's take a look at the last 10 years. Going back to 2010-2011 season, managers sacked mid-season. Newcastle sacked Chris Hewton and replaced him with Alan Pardew. That went really well for a couple of years. It turned sour, but it went really well for a couple of years. Blackburn sacked Sam Allardyce and appointed Steve Keane. That did not work. They managed to stay up, barely, but that wasn't a, a replacement that worked. Liverpool sacked Roy Hodgson and brought in Kenny Dogleish. That worked brilliantly. West Brom sacked Roberto Di Matteo and brought in uh, Roy Hodgson. And that worked really, really well for them as well. So that season, of the four managers who were sacked, and Avram Grant was sacked like before the last game of the season, so we're not going to count that one. But of the four that were sacked, three of the replacements looked really worked out really well. Go into 11-12. Steve Bruce, backed by Sunderland. Martin O'Neill takes over. That goes really well. Neil Warnock, sacked by QPR. Mark Hughes takes over, keeps them up. That goes really well. Wolf sacked Mick McCarthy. Terry Connor takes over. They were doomed anyway, but that one didn't work. Chelsea sacked Villas-Boas, appointed Di Matteo, the guy who'd been sacked by West Brom the previous year, and won the Champions League. So I think it's fair to say that one worked. So again, you've got three out of four that work really well. 2012-2013, Di Matteo sacked Chelsea's, Chelsea's harsh. The man won the Champions League and was sacked six months later. 
People want to say Lampard didn't get backing or time. Di Matteo won a Champions League and got sacked. Um, replaced by Rafa Benitez, they went on to win the Europa League. That worked. Mark Hughes was sacked by QPR. Harry Redknapp took over. That was toxic and doomed. Was never going to save them. So it is what it is. Nigel Atkins, who'd done a great job getting Southampton up, was sacked and Murcio Pochettino took over. I think that was a home run. Pochettino did brilliantly there. Brian McDermott was sacked as manager of Reading. Adkins took over. Didn't keep them up. I don't think it was a failure, but you know, I, I think they were doomed anyway. Um, Martin O'Neill was sacked as manager of Sunderland and Paolo Di Canio took over. Uh, Di Canio should never have been given any job as a football manager. The man is a lunatic. And then um, Roberto Mancini was sacked at the end of the season by Manchester City. One game left and Brian Kidd took over and then Pellegrini arrived and went on to, to win another league title. But again, most of these are working out very, very well. 13-14 then. De Canio sacked early. Poyet takes over. Sunderland stay up. And they stay up comfortably. Um, Ian Holloway sacked. Tony Pulis replaces him at Crystal Palace. That goes really well. Um, they're 19th when, when Pulis takes over. They look dead and buried. They finish mid-table. Martin Yule sacked by Fulham. Reddy Mulestin takes over. That didn't work. But they, they were 18th when it happened. They finished 19th. It's, it's pretty much a push. Uh, Steve Clark sacked as manager of West Brom. Pepe Mel takes over. It's all a bit of a mess. They don't get better. They don't get worse. Spurs sacked Vias Boas. Tim Sherwood took over and did really well initially. That six months, he did really well. Um, so, the, you know, that works out quite well. Malky McKay was sacked and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer took over. That went disastrously. They were 16th when it happened. They finished nailed to the bottom of the league. Michael Loudrup was sacked as manager of Swansea. Gary Monk took over and initially did very, very well. Uh, Mullenstein was sacked by Fulham. Felix McGatt takes over. It, they're in the toilet as it is. Norwich sacked Chris Hewton. Neil Adams takes over. They go down. It was always going to happen. Uh, United sacked David Moyes and Ryan Giggs took over. I don't remember a big outpouring of, of support for David Moyes, funnily enough. I remember journalists who had been very cosy with David Moyes been the first ones to celebrate his demise. Um, one of them works for ESPN now. In fourteen fifteen, there was less chaos. Um, Neil Warnock was sacked as manager of Crystal Palace. Pardew took over and again did a very good job taking over there. Alan Irvine was uh, sacked as manager of West Brom. Tony Pulis took over, and again, he did a very good job there. Um, John Carver took over at Newcastle because Pardew left. It wasn't that he was sacked, um, so that one doesn't really count. Paul Lambert sacked as Villa manager. Tim Sherwood takes over, and again, he does he does surprisingly well for tactics, Timmy. He keeps them up when they looked, they looked doomed. And... Um, Gus Poyet sacked as manager of Sunderland when they were 17th and Dick Advocate finishes them in 16th. So again, like most of these are working. There's not many that are massive failures. Most of these sackings actually work out for the club. 
1516, Dick Advocat sacked, Allardyce takes over at Sunderland, does really well. Rogers sacked at Liverpool, Klopp takes over, goes brilliantly. Uh, Sherwood sacked, Remy Gard takes over at Villa, doesn't go so well, they go down. They were going down anyway, so it's not really Remy Gard's fault. Gary Monk was sacked as manager of um, Swansea and Alan Curtis took over as caretaker and then uh, Francesco Guidolin took over and he did really well initially. Like their first six months there, he was very, very good. Steve McLaren was sacked as manager of Newcastle. Rafa took over. They were going down. Rafa brought them down, brought them straight back up. It went really well. Um, and then Roberto Martinez was sacked at the end of the season. But again, it, they brought in Ronald Koeman and things went well. So, you know, you're, you're not seeing many failures. So 16-17, Giedlin is sacked as manager of Swansea. Bob Bradley, the American, takes over. It goes disastrously. He himself gets sacked two months later. They bring in Paul Clement. He keeps them up. Alan Pardew was sacked as manager of Palace. Allardyce took over and, of course, did what Allardyce does, kept them up. Mike Phelan was sacked as manager of Hull. Marco Silva arrived in England to take this job. Now, he did really well and almost kept them up. Um... A couple of bad results went against them, but other than that, he did quite well. Claudio Ranieri getting sacked the, you know, midway through the season after winning the league is still the harshest thing we've seen in the Premier League. Uh, even worse than Di Matteo after the Champions League. Uh, Craig Shakespeare takes over. It, it, you know, it, went, it went well that season. It didn't work for much longer. And uh, Aitor Karanka was sacked as manager of Borough. They were going down. They went down anyway under Steve Agnew. Into 1718, Everton sack Koeman, appoint Allardyce, finish mid-table. West Ham sack Billich, appoint Moyes, finish mid-table. Uh, Pulis sacked at West Brom. Pardew takes over, does not go well, they go down. They were going down anyway in all likelihood, but they were 17th when Pulis was sacked. They ended up 20th, so yeah, that's a bad one. Uh, Paul Clement sacked, Swansea were, they were going down. Carlos Cavalho almost kept them up was unfortunate that he just took over a situation where they were doomed. Um, Mark Hughes had taken Stoke as good as down, and Paul Lambert took over a, you know, a sinking ship, couldn't keep them up. Marco Silva sacked as, as Watford manager, having done really well initially, had his head turned by Everton, and things went badly. But um, Javi Gracia took over. It didn't go particularly well. They were 10th when they sacked Silva. They finished 14th. Um, Riccio Pellegrini was sacked by Southampton and Mark Hughes amazingly having done such a dreadful job at Stoke is given another Premier League job and almost takes them down and um, Alan Pardew was sacked as manager of West Brom Darren Moore took over and actually did really really well and would go on to have a good season the next year but couldn't ring them up and somehow so for some reason was sacked 18-19 Fulham, slack, Fulham sack Jakanovic, bringing Ranieri. It was going badly. It kept going badly. Ranieri himself got sacked, and they brought in Scott Parker in February. He lasted three months in the job. Uh, Hughes was sacked by Southampton on the 3rd of December. Ralph Hasenhutl took over. We know how well that's gone. Jose Mourinho sacked by Manchester United. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has come in and done, done a good job. Claude Puel sacked by Leicester, and Brendan Rodgers has come in. And we see what see the job he's doing. 
last season, Grassi is sacked by Watford. Kike Sanchez-Flores takes over. He doesn't last very long. He comes in, in on the 7th of September, and by the 6th of December, he's out the door again, Nigel Pearson. Neither of those moves worked. They went down. Pochettino left Spurs. Mourinho took over. They were 14th when Mourinho took over. They finished 6th. I think it's fair to say that went well. Unai Emery sacked by Arsenal. Arteta takes over, wins the FA Cup. I think it's fair to say that went well. Everton sack Marco Silva. Poor old Mark, Marco Silva. Just, just doesn't last the season anywhere. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti takes over. And uh, you know that's been a home run for them. And Manuel Pellegrini sacked by West Ham. And David Moyes took over. And again, that's gone very, very well for West Ham. So I would, I would say, what, 70%? 70% of the managerial changes mid-season over the last 10 years have gone good or better. There's very few that haven't worked out. The ones that didn't work out were largely clubs that were doomed to relegation anyway. But when clubs in the top half have made changes, or, or the bigger clubs have made changes, most of them have gone well. Liverpool's two were sacking Hodgson for dog leash and then Rodgers for Klopp. Both of those worked really well. Arsenal sacked Emery for Arteta. I think that's gone very well. Spurs sacked Vias Boas for Sherwood. That went well that season. And then Pochettino for Mourinho, and that went well. Um, United, they had to do away with Moyes. He just wasn't. He wasn't cut out for a club that size. Um, they gave it gave it Giggsy till the end of the season, and you know it went okay. It didn't go spectacularly. He was never going to be the manager long term. They bring in Van Hal. The next time they sack a manager mid season, it's Mourinho out, and um, and Ollie in, and United are top of the league at the minute. So you can't argue with that one. City haven't really made the move mid season. Mancini got sacked like before the last game, or maybe it was after the last game of the season. The one who's done it more more often is Chelsea. But again, it, it has worked for them. Look at the success they've had. Look at the success they've had under Bramovich. You can't argue with what they've done. Five league titles, five FA Cups, three league cups, the Champions League and two Europa Leagues in 17, almost 18 years. As opposed to the previous 98 years of one league title, three FA Cups, two League Cups, and two Cup Winners' Cups. What Abramovich does works. It just works for them. And the success they've had speaks volumes. There's definitely issues at Chelsea. And with Tuchel, it will go one of two ways. It'll either be a roaring success or he'll be out in his ear in 18 months or less. He's got an 18-month contract with an option for a year that either he or the club can trigger. You'd imagine if he does well, um, he, they'll just they'll give him a new contract. They'll blow up the current one and give him a new contract. Uh, one of the other criticisms I saw of Chelsea was that Lampard, because he made it quite clear that he was going to leave Derby, and and take the Chelsea job. Chelsea then lowballed him on their contract offer, and he was only offered a contract for four million a year. Only. He's Frank Lampard. He did one season in the management at Derby, 
He'd failed to bring them up. He had a good season, not a great season. Four million was way overpaying for Frank Lampard, the manager. Would have been a bargain for Lampard, the player, in his prime. But it was a massive overpay for Frank Lampard, the manager. Half a million a year would have been a fair salary for him, given what he'd accomplished as a manager, which was little or nothing. So, he's obviously, he's super Frank Lampard. That's why he's getting the backing. You know, he's, he's popular among the media circuit. He's popular with players that played alongside him and played against him and whatever else. But let's be honest, he's not shown anything as a manager to suggest he was good enough or ready to manage the Chelsea, you know, the Chelsea job. With everything that comes with it, the expectations, the big egos around the club, and a very demanding owner, very demanding fan base. I mean, a fan base so demanding that there are, are Chelsea fans out there suggesting that Chelsea were a dying club when he took over. They'd finished third and won the Europa League. Like, that's a level of entitlement that you just, you can't buy. It's it's insane. Tuchel will do well as long as he keeps his personality in check. I think he'll get the most out of a lot of the attacking talent at Chelsea, and there is a lot of it there. They will need to buy. Their squad is lacking holding midfielder, centre-back, goalkeeper. They won't buy a goalkeeper, I don't think, till next summer. But look, maybe he's the guy that can turn Kepa around. Kepa was linked with PSG when he was there. So it is possible. Rudiger was linked with PSG when he was there. So again, maybe that's the centre-back. Maybe he'll work wonders with Rudiger. I have doubts. I don't think Rudiger's particularly good. But maybe Tuchel will fancy trying to trying to re- rehab him and redevelop him. Um, Chelsea's going to be fascinating to watch for the rest of the season. It'll be really, really interesting to watch. And then it'll be even more interesting to watch in the summer if he doesn't get the players he wants or there's any kind of clashes, whether he will stick with it or walk away. Um, speaking of signing players, there's been very little in the January window so far, which is a little bit surprising, because I did think there was a number of clubs that needed to do quite a bit of business. Obviously, COVID is a massive factor, and the lack of fans and, and match day income is definitely playing into all of this. But I thought we'd have a quick look at what this what the Premier League clubs have done so far uh, in terms of ins and outs. So we start with Arsenal. Uh, They brought in Matt Ryan on loan from from Brighton. Now, there's no option or obligation to buy, but you would imagine that should he do well, should they be happy with him, they will most likely keep him. Stylistically, he's quite similar to Bernard Leno. Um... There's no doubt that he was having a a tough season this year at Brighton, but he's playing behind the defence with Ben White, who can't defend, Tariq Lamptey, who can't defend, and Solly March, who can't defend. So out of the five defensive players they had on the pitch, not counting in a bassoon in midfield, of the five actual defenders, Dunk is a good defender, but he struggles for pace. And Adam Webster's a good defender. But when only two of your five defenders are particularly good, 
um, you are going to face a lot of shots. And he, he did have, he had a rough season, there's no question. But he's proven himself that he's a good goalkeeper. His first two seasons in the Premier League, he was very, very good. That f- first season under Graham Potter, adjusting to a new style, it was a little bit difficult for him. And then this season, obviously, was was pretty poor. But maybe Arsenal's the you know the fresh start that he needs. The only real issues with him, he's a little bit short. He's about 5'11". And he does get lost in the threes a little bit when he comes for crosses. Um, and he spells his name with one T. Matt, M-A-T, no second T. Now, I know he is Matthew with one T, which, again, is just not right. But Matt with one T doesn't work for me. So, you know, change your name. Um, they also brought in Omar Rakik from Hertha Berlin. He's the younger brother of Kareem Rakik. He's a solid young defender, but he's you know he's young. He's not going to be anywhere close to first team ready. Um, he is one for the long term. Martin Odegaard is on his way. Um, super talented young player. If he can rediscover the form he showed when he was on loan at Vitas Arnhem and uh, Real Sociedad, he will be very very good for Arsenal if they play him either as a 10 or off the right in a 4-2-3-1, they'll get the best of him. And the best of Odegaard is a, is a sensational young player. We'll add more creativity to that team. We'll add inventiveness. Uh, great dribbler. Really, really good pass for the ball. Really good pass to the ball. And look, he's he's the kid that's, you know, been destined for greatness. At, at 15, he made his debut. He was hawked around Europe. Everyone wanted him. Every club wanted him. I think he visited most of the biggest clubs in Europe. Um, and Real Madrid were the one that made the best offer. So that's where he ended up. It didn't go particularly well. He had, you know, some issues settling in. He was far too young. He's 15 going to play with grown men or 16 as he was going to play with grown men. He was just far too young for him. Uh, he was far too young for them, I should say. But the loans have worked out well. Um, Heronveen, Vitas Arnhem and Real Sociedad, each time he got better. And he's become a, a tremendous player. He really has. So that's a really good signing for Arsenal. I think they should be really happy with that. But I also think they'll be happier with what they're doing in terms of outgoings. So they finally, you know, cut the cord with Mesut Ozil And it'll have cost them some cash, but it was costing them a fortune to keep him sitting at home, twiddling his thumbs. So they're, at least they're free of that now. Kolasinic on loan uh, to Schalke, and Schalke are paying his wages. That was another just mistake they made signing him. Um, he's just not very good. He's just not very good. It's as simple as that. William Saliba loaned out to Nice. I think they'd have been better off keeping him and playing him because I think him and Gabriel would be their best pairing. And at least they could learn together and they could develop a partnership but Arteta felt he wasn't ready for the Premier League. Now, he's gone to Nice and he's, he looks the best defender in the, in the league again. So, you know, it's hard to know what to make of that. Socrates also released. Um, so, again, they've saved themselves a bunch of money. He's gone to Olympiacos. And they are in the process, of, all, by all accounts, of trying to come to terms on the release of uh, Mustafi. Again, another failed signing from... The Wenger era, I think they paid $34 million for him. So it's a massive hit to take financially, but they're better off releasing him now than having to continue to pay his wages. He's not going to play for them. 
uh, it's it's clear that Arteta has no interest in, in in playing him. So I think Arsenal should be very happy about the way they've been able to just get rid of a lot of the overpriced errors that they've made in their past. David Luiz's contract up in the summer, he's one they should wave goodbye to. I think they should actively be shopping Granit Xhaka around Europe and trying to find a home for him and just move on. I mean, they're going to be stuck with Willian. That is what it is. But, you know, clear out the deadwood and start afresh. That's the best thing Arsenal can do. The ins are good. The outs are good. So far, it's a really good window for Arsenal. Um, Aston Villa brought in Evan Ferguson from Bohemians. Uh, I'm ashamed to say I don't know anything about him, but best of luck to him. I hope he does really well. It's great to see a young Irish player getting signed by a Premier League club. Uh, Conor Hurran has gone on loan to Swansea. He'll do really well in the Championship. He'll do really well in the Championship. Uh, Lovre Kalinic, the, I think he's the backup goalkeeper, the third-choice goalkeeper, has gone to Hadrick Split. And Tariq White has gone to Walsall. Now, they are in the process of bringing in Morgan Sanson from Marseille, who's a very talented midfielder. Uh, box-to-box style, good on the ball, good ball winner. Does does a bit of everything very well. Similar similar type to John McGinn. Doesn't have McGinn's passing range, I don't think, but is a is a clever player and has good short passing. Um, he'll be a good addition in that midfield group. You've got him and Marvellous Marvelous Nakamba, plus McGinn and Douglas Louise and Ross Barkley. That's a very strong group. It's a very, very strong group. And I'd imagine his arrival is the reason they've been comfortable letting Conor Hurrahan go. Uh, but that should be a good, a good buy by Villa. I think they're going to pay £16 million for him. So, again, it just shows owners that are willing to back a manager. They've, they've got great ownership there, among the best in the league. And um, Dean Smith should be, should be very, very thankful at the ownership he has. Brighton haven't signed anybody, which is a bit disappointing because they need a goalkeeper. They need a striker and they need a left back. Um, they have been linked to a couple of players, so we'll wait and see if anything uh, anything comes up. They've loaned out Jason Malumbi. Uh, they've loaned out Victor Gaiakeras. I, I don't know what his name is. I, I don't know who he is. Uh, he's gone on loan to Coventry. Best of luck to him. And Bernardo has gone back. Has gone to RB Salzburg. They signed him from RB Leipzig, so he's gone back into the into the, the Red Bull system. Uh, talented player, just never really worked for him. At Brighton, you'd imagine he'll he'll be off in the summer. And then Matt Ryan, of course, gone to Arsenal. They need to get busy. They need to get somebody in up front. And they they, they need a goalkeeper now that Matt Ryan's gone. Um, Burnley, predictably, have done nothing. Um, Bobby Thomas has gone on loan to Barrow. He wasn't going to play. So, you know, he they might as well loan him out. But they haven't brought anybody in. Despite the new ownership, whether that's just that they haven't found the right deal yet or what, I don't know, but they need to get players in. They need depth at centre-back. They could do it a new right-back. They could do it a right-winger, and they could do it a new option up front. Um, Chelsea haven't signed anybody yet, but they have sent Fekio Tamore on loan with an option to buy to Milan. I think that one's a mistake. And then Danny Drinkwater has gone on loan to Kasimbasa in Kasimbasa in Turkey. Um... Danny Drinkwater is one of the worst signings that Chelsea have ever made. They paid, I believe, I believe 30 million for him. It could have been 40, but I think it was 30. He's on about 100 grand a week. I think he's played like eight times for Chelsea and he's been loaned out endlessly and made no impact on loan at Burnley, 
or Aston Villa. So, you know, don't buy players because they do well next to N'Golo Kante is probably the, probably the, the lesson to be learned here. Charlie Brown uh, left on a permanent deal to MK Dons. And then Lucas Piazon went to Sporting Braga on a permanent deal. He has been at Chelsea, I would guess, for 10 years. And he has been on loan everywhere. He joined Chelsea in 2011. He played one league match for Chelsea. Three games in total in 10 years. He has been on loan at Malaga, Vietas Arnhem, Eintracht Frankfurt, Reading, Fulham, Kievo, two years at Fulham, I should say, Kievo, and Rio Ave, he was on loan for 18 months, and now he's gone to Braga. Um, he was meant to be the next Kaka, apparently, when he was signed. Um, to much, much hype. He came from Sao Paulo, and uh, yeah, was was hyped to the last. But uh, three games is what his Chelsea career amounted to, all of them in the 2012-13 season. One in the league, two in the League Cup. It's harsh. It's a shame to see when young players who are obviously very, very talented. I mean, he was in the, you know, he, you know, he was in the Brazilian underage teams, won multiple competitions with them, was voted Chelsea's young player of the year in 2011-2012 uh, when they won the Youth Cup. He's clearly very, very talented, and his career has just been endless loans. Don't let your kids sign for Chelsea. <laughs> Um, Crystal Palace, they brought in Jean-Philippe Matete from Mines on loan, but I think with an obligation to buy him in the summer. Very, very talented striker, quite raw, but a big unit, 6'4", strong, quick, good in the air. He will add a, a new dimension to this uh, this Palace team. Should prove to be a good addition next to the likes of Zaha and uh, Abrici Ezi. They've paid a three million loan fee, and they've an option to sign him for fifteen million in the summer. Oh, it's an eighteen month loan. Sorry, the summer of twenty twenty two. So, look, Palace needed a goal scorer. It's one of the things they badly needed. They could do with bringing in a younger centre back. They've got a they've got Jack Butler now as the backup goalkeeper. So maybe that's their succession plan. There, left back, they're solid. They need to just get get some deals done on players they want to keep like Van Anhold and Tyreek Mitchell. I think Ferguson and um, Nathaniel Klein could be their right backs for the, you know, the next couple of years, a younger center back, a box to box midfielder and a striker. That was what they needed. They got the striker in. We'll wait and see if they do anything else. Um, They let Max Meyer go. They uh, terminated his contract. He was an expensive miss for them they didn't pay anything to get him but i believe he was on 120 grand a week so they would have paid a six million signing on bonus to him and then paid him six million a year they're now three years um very very talented player had a great season with schalke when he played as sort of a deep lying playmaker he's still only 25 so somebody will snap him up and i think he'll still go on to have a decent career um, 
but it won't be the career he was expected to have. Like when he was coming through at Schalke, this was this was the one. This was the player that was going to be. I mean, he he was hyped the way Kai Havertz was hyped when he was seventeen, eighteen. They were talking about him the way they talked about Havertz at seventeen, eighteen, and um, when he reached senior level, he had a bitty career. But that he that one great season with Schalke where he played in that deep flying role and um, Leon Goretzka played next to him as a box-to-box midfielder and they were brilliant they were absolutely brilliant together um, Tedesco was the manager that season he's now at Spartak Moscow so maybe I wonder would Spartak Moscow show interest in Max Meyer because that manager has gotten the best out of him before uh, two and a half seasons he spent at Palace he was due to be out of contract in the summer anyway, so they're only saving a little bit of money, but still, a shame. Uh, hopefully he goes on to to rediscover his form. Nia Kirby went out on loan as well. For Everton, nobody signed yet, but Matthew Pennington, Jared Braithwaite, and Ellis Sims all loaned out. Fulham haven't signed anybody. They are being linked with a couple. Uh, they need to get another goal scorer in before it's all said and done, and they need a new manager, which is their biggest need. Um, Rafa Benitez is now available. Make a phone call. Matt O'Reilly left on an undisclosed fee to go to MK Dons. He wasn't going to get any run in the first team anyway. Uh, Leeds haven't signed anybody, but a couple of loans out. Jordan Stevens, Ryan Edmondson, and Robbie Gotts. None of them were going to play a part this season. They're all players for the future or, or players that just don't have a future at Leeds. Uh, Leicester City, you talk about flops. Islam Slimani leaves on, lo- uh, leaves on a free to go to Leon. Uh, 40 million you might as well have set it on fire. Uh, plus all the wages that he was he was paid over his time. He's another one, you know, made little to no impact, spent a lot of time on loan, and out the door he goes. Philippe Benkovic loaned to Levin in Belgium. I believe they the owners of, if I'm not mistaken, the owners of Leicester own that club. So that's just kind of an internal transfer that they've they've gone with there. Uh, Matty James gone on loan to Coventry. Why do they still own Matty James? Daniel Iverson gone on loan to Preston. Darnell Johnson to Wimbledon. And Admiral Musquay to Wickham. I don't know who he is, but that's a tremendous name. Admiral. That's a tremendous name. Uh, Liverpool haven't signed anybody, but they are allegedly going to get this Kay Gordon kid from Derby. Uh, Liam Miller and Adam Lewis both loaned out. Man City have loaned out Morgan Rogers, who's a super talented young player that they they stole from the Academy of West Brom. Uh, Nathan Ogpeta and Thomas Scott both left on permanent transfers. But they did sign somebody. They signed Filip Stevanovic, who is allegedly like the next big star coming from Serbia. Um, in the summer, the spoofer with the catchphrase claimed that he was a done deal to Manchester United. Turned out to be nothing of the sort. And City have landed him, um, and al- allegedly he is mega talented, but I, I have no idea. Ahmed Diallo to United, that's the one they had arranged in the summer. Super talented player, but I mean, they've paid 20 million up front with, a, I think, 16 million in add ons for a kid that's never started a league match in his life. He's 17, eight, maybe he could be 18 now. He is 18 now, because that's why they had to wait. But yeah, super talented, but. It's a big gamble. It's a big, big gamble. If he works out, great. If he doesn't, it's going to be a lot of money down the toilet. Uh, Timothy Fosu-Mensa left on a permanent deal. And Ethan Laird, who they're very, very high on, has gone to MK Dons on loan. 
The Toon, of course, have done nothing because they're the Toon. Uh, Rolando Ahrens has gone to Huddersfield in a permanent deal. When he broke through there, he looked like he was going to be something. Super quick, super talented winger. Um, Could play either side. Very, very tricky. But he's just had a string of loans. Hellas Verona, uh, Slovan Leberic, Sheffield Wednesday, Wickham, Motherwell, and now to uh, Huddersfield on on a permanent deal. He's still only 25, though, which is crazy. So hopefully he, he goes on to have quite a good career. He's Raheem Sterling's cousin, I think. I could be wrong about that. I think he's Raheem. No, he's Max Aaron's cousin. That's whose cousin he is. Max Aaron's cousin. Would make sense. Um, <clears throat> Sheffield United haven't signed anybody, but they loaned out Reese Norrington Davies. Southampton haven't signed anybody. They've loaned out Callum Slattery and sold Tyreek Johnson, both of them, to Gillingham. Spurs have loaned out six players. Harvey White, Jubal Ekadina, Anthony Georgiou, Brandon Austin, Shilau Tracy, and Jack Clark. Jack Clark is the most notable of that group. Um, super talented player. Came through at Leeds. Was part of that Leeds team under Bielsa the first season. Played a massive role in getting them to the uh, playoffs. And then Spurs bought him for like 11 million and then loaned him straight back and Bielsa just ignored him. So he plays 25 games the first season. That was his first season as a, as a pro. Plays 25 games. Goes, signs for Spurs, gets loaned back and Bielsa plays him three times in the whole season. Um, Spurs cut that loan short and brought him back and sent him to QPR where he did all right. Um, hopefully he does really well at Stoke. He's a very, very talented player. And um, he's one, I think I, Burnley should have been in for him. Burnley could have done with, with someone like him to fill the Aaron Lennon void, that spark plug winger off the bench who can play either side, give you a little bit of flexibility, different look can be an outlet. I don't understand why Burnley didn't try and sign him on a, on a, on a loan. Uh, West Brom have brought in Robert Snod's Snodgrass on, for an undisclosed fee. And they signed Andy, Andy Lonergan, who was at Liverpool last season and won a Premier League medal. Um, Owen Windsor's gone on loan. Charlie Austin has gone on loan to QPR. I love that signing for QPR. Charlie Austin, if he's fit, will score goals. And Raheem Harper has gone on loan to Birmingham. Raheem Harper could have helped them. They could have done one more in midfield. Philippe Kravinovic has had his loan at West Brom cancelled. He's now gone on loan to... Um, to Nottingham Forest, uh, another player that they just they wasted. I, I don't know why he wasn't playing more. He's he's very very talented. West Ham have brought in Frederick Alves from Silkborg, a young Danish centre back. By all accounts, very talented. I don't know anything about him. Sebastian Haller went to Ajax for twenty million. Robert Snods Snodgrass to West Brom, obviously. Dan Kemp to Leighton Orient. Owen Windsor to Newport on loan. And then finally, Wolves, who uh, loaned out Niall Ennis to Plymouth and signed William Jose, the Brazilian striker from Real Sociedad. A bit of a surprising one that Sociedad let him go, um, given that he, you know, he's been an important player for them for a long time. But he hadn't been as important this season. He hadn't been as effective this season either. But he scored double figures in each of his last four seasons in league competition alone. He's been really good for Sociedad. He's a good all-round player, similar stylistically to Raul Jimenez. So that's probably the want there. Um, Wolves do have an option to make the deal permanent. 
I don't know that he could play with Jimenez, but he'd be the ideal backup to Jimenez. Whether he's willing to do that at the age of 29 or not, I don't know. But, I mean, if they show him a big enough bag of money, he might be okay with it. But um, it's a good signing for Wolves. It's exactly what they needed. I'm a little surprised they didn't go for Diego Costa. I'll be honest, I did think that was one they would um, they would go for, given he's on a free, given who his agent is. I thought they'd sign him, but they made no effort in the end. Uh, so that's all 20 of them. And we'll wrap up with the gossip of what may come. Eden Zeko is set to leave Roma after the 34-year-old fell out with manager Paolo Fonseca. A move to the Premier League could be a solution for him with Everton and West Ham both interested. He would be a great fit for a number of Premier League clubs. Brighton probably not big enough to get him. Just He will want to go to a top club with, with you know Champions League ambitions. Uh, he would be ideal for Brighton, but yeah, he won't go there. Everton would be a good, he, it'd be a good spot for him, but is he going to start over Calvert-Lewin? Probably not. And I don't know that he will want to go somewhere where he's not going to start. West Ham is an interesting one. They don't have Champions League ambitions, but it is London. They'll pay him a ton of money. Him and Antonio could be very interesting together, but they'd have to play two up front, which to date they haven't done. It's part of the reason Halar didn't work there. Um, but his his style of play would work well with the likes of Ben Rama and Fornals and Jared Bowen. So that's one to keep an eye on. But there's a couple of clubs that could could really do with with Eden Zeko. Manchester United are working on beating a host of European clubs, including Manchester City, Barcelona, and Juve, to the signing of 18-year-old Brazilian forward Gabriel Veron. So he's got, I think, a 50 million buyout or something ridiculous. I think I talked about that last week or the week before. Uh, Barca aren't going to be in the mix for this at all because Barca are on the verge of going bankrupt. Uh, so they won't be signing him. Let's be clear on that. Um, Paris Saint-Germain boss Mauricio Pochettino is keen on a reunion with Tottenham and England midfield Deli Alli. Apparently they've had three bids turned down for the 24-year-old, but Pochettino has the club's backing for a continued pursuit. Ali was a star under Pochettino. Pochettino got the best out of him. If It depends on what formation Pochettino wants to play. If he's going to play a 4-2-3-1, is Neymar playing left wing? Is he playing a 4-3-3 and using Delhi as a midfielder? It's it's difficult to see where Delhi would fit unless Neymar's playing left wing, which might not make Neymar very happy. Eriksen would have been the more obvious one because he can play in a midfield three. Delhi hasn't really shown enough consistency in a midfield three. Uh, meanwhile, PSG are reportedly set to offer Julian Draxler in exchange for Arsenal's Matteo Gunduzi. So Gunduzi's on loan at Hertha Berlin, and I think they have an option to buy him. So this deal sounds like something somebody's made up. Uh, I would say avoid Julian Draxler if you're Arsenal. Okay, so apparently there is there is chaos at uh, Hertha Berlin where Guendouzi is currently playing. Um, he has played fairly regularly and the couple of games I've watched, he's been quite good. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe, maybe he will be recalled and sent out somewhere else. In fairness, Arsenal could actually do it in midfield. He's 
I'd rather have him than Granite Xhaka. I know he's meant to be a pain in the backside, but I'd still rather have him than Granite Xhaka. Uh, Udinese are in talks at Wolves to sign Patrick Catrone on loan. He's fallen down the pecking order now that Willie and Jose has arrived. Well, the the problem there is that we don't know when Jimenez is going to be back. If Jose was to pick up an injury, they'd just be back in the same position they were in before they signed him. The reason they bought back Catrone was to have some depth. They'd be much better off just keeping him. Uh, Parma are also interested in Catrone. Charlie Austin says Manchester United chose to sign Sweden defender Victor Lindelof over Virgil van Dijk uh, in 2017. So this is this is not true. So Virgil van Dijk turned down Manchester United. Didn't even give them a meeting. Didn't even let them in the room with him. Same with Arsenal. Same with Spurs. He narrowed his list because he could have gone anywhere to Liverpool, Chelsea, and City. But he was always he was always going to Liverpool. Once he met Klopp, he was always going to Liverpool. Um, Liverpool are closing in on Derby's 16-year-old Kate Gordon. That is from the Liverpool Echo. So if they're reporting it on top of the reports from the Telegraph, it does look like one that should go over the line. Uh, Schroeder Mustafi is in talks with Arsenal about ending his contract early. He's been linked with a move to Lazio, and he's also attracting interest in his homeland. Yeah, I mean, it's for the best for everybody for him to move on. Monaco and Benfica have joined the race to sign Damari Gray. Uh, he's also wanted by Crystal Palace. This sounds like something his agent might have put out there, if I'm being honest. Palace would be a good move for him, but yeah, the rest of it, I, I don't know. Um, Crystal Palace faces competition from Napoli for Marseille's 26-year-old French defender Jordan Amavi. That doesn't make any sense. Jordan Amavi's a left-back. They have two good left-backs there in Van Aanholt and Tyreek Mitchell. Now, maybe they're planning to let Van Aanholt go when his contract expires in the summer and bring in a younger uh, player in Amavi, but it, it, it's a strange one. It is a strange one. I think Amavi's out of contract this summer as well. I'm almost certain he is. He's a talented player. It's strange that it didn't work out. I know he, he had a bad injury yet. Villa, which was the major problem, but um, he's done really well since going back to Marseille. West Brom boss Sam Allardyce is interested in signing Christian Benteke. I mean, I, I, I shouldn't speak. If I speak, I'm in trouble. Fulham's Norway midfielder Stefan Johansson has had a medical before his loan moves to Championship Club QPR. He's a good player. He'll do well in the Championship. He will. He'll do well there for, for QPR. He's done well in the Championship a couple of times before, so you'd imagine he'll do well for QPR. Andrea Pirlo is looking to bolster Juve's midfield uh, by signing Quarantine Tolisso. And he wants to bring in Josh Xerxes as well. Joshua Xerxes is the striker who's currently been linked with Everton. He's meant to be very, very talented. I have no idea personally. Uh, Quarantine Tolisso would be a strange signing. Juve are loaded in midfield. The one area they don't really need to address is midfield. They've got Benton Kerr. They've got Rabiot. They've got McKenney. They've got Arthur. Someone else I'm missing as well. They've got Aaron Ramsey, who they, I know they're trying to offload, but Pirlo keeps sticking them on the left wing. Uh, maybe to highlight the fact that he's not good enough. Um, Taliso wouldn't make much sense there. Taliso needs to go somewhere where he's going to be first choice. It's as simple as that. He needs to go somewhere where he's going to be first choice. Uh, former Liverpool and Newcastle boss Rafa Benitez wants a big European job and is keen on a return to the Premier League 
after leaving Chinese Super League side Dalian Professional. How big a job does he want? Because his last job in, in Europe was Newcastle. Does he want the same size club? Does he just want a Premier League job? As I said earlier, I think Fulham should be making a phone call. I think if you can get Rafa, you get Rafa. He's He is an elite manager. He's just had some really unfortunate luck in his career. He's made some... He's made some bad decisions with jobs that he's taken uh, is, is the easiest way to put it. He shouldn't have taken the Inter job when he did. I can see why he, he thought it was the right job for him, but they just won the league for the fourth year in a row and they'd won the Champions League. No matter what he did, it was going to be not as good as the previous guy who was Mourinho. He shouldn't have taken the Chelsea job because it was only ever really going to be short term. Even though they gave him the 18-month contract, he goes on and wins a Europa League, but the previous manager who he replaced had won a Champions League. So, you know, and look, he was he was Liverpool's Rafa Benitez. Chelsea fans never took to him. They were never going to take to him. He went to Napoli and he did well. Um, there was always question marks though over how long he was going to stay there De Laurentiis the Napoli owner is you know noted to be very difficult to work with and he's been problematic for a couple of managers but Rafa did well there but then he went to Real Madrid and again Rafa's style of play Rafa's style of management and Rafa's style of personality was never going to fit at Real he's too reserved he's too nice for Real um the Newcastle thing, like, he did really well there, all told. Went down with them. They were going down anyway. Brought them straight back up. Kept them up. He's a very, very good manager, but he's just, he's made strange decisions. That's the thing. Like, I don't know why he chose to go to China when he did. Um, I, I really don't. I think if he did his career over again, from when he left Liverpool. I think he would have left Liverpool maybe maybe in 09 after finishing his runner-up in the league. I think if he'd, if he'd walked away then, I, I think he could have gone on to have a, a better time of things. That last year, Liverpool really took it out of him. The ownership, the financial situation not getting the players he wanted, the players he bought not working out, Glenn Johnson, Aquilani. By the time he left Liverpool, he was a different manager than he had been when he signed his new contract a year before. Um, Inter didn't get the same manager that Liverpool had seen for most of his time there. And again, Inter was just the wrong job at the wrong time for him. Chelsea was... Chelsea might have been the right job at the wrong time, but Inter was the wrong job at the wrong time. Napoli was right job, right club, wrong owner. Because De Laurentiis is just, he's a pain in the backside. Real was always, always a bad move. Always a bad move. And Newcastle, again, it's the right club. It's just, it's the wrong owner. If Rafa got Newcastle with, if if the Cans who own Fulham owned Newcastle, Newcastle would be a Europa League club every year. Because they've got the money the resources, the ambition. Newcastle have the fan base and the potential and the draw because 
Newcastle's a big club. Players will want to go to Newcastle. Rafa would be very, very happy managing Newcastle. Um, I hope he comes back to the Premier League. I really do. And I hope it, I'd love to see it be Fulham. I think he'd do really well with that team. But um, we'll wait and see. That's it. That is the show for today. Um, tomorrow, hopefully there's a, you know, a bit more on, the, on the, the Tuchel thing. Hopefully he's been appointed. I don't think he's been appointed as we speak. But um, you never know. Hopefully there's a couple of transfers we can actually talk about as well. And um, whatever else happens in the next 24 hours is, is what we'll do. Other than that, I will speak to you tomorrow. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Guy, and thank you to Fox Hunt for the music. Uh, take care of yourselves. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.